Hi, I'm Jem, the podcaster formerly known as Emma. I pulled a prince on you. But yeah, no no questions. Just call me Jem now. Cool. <laughs> Will do. You know what? I asked you what your <laughs> intro was and then I didn't even think about what my intro would be. I know what it should be. What should it be? It's your birthday. Ah! <laughs> um, hi, my name is Julie. And it is, in fact, we're recording on my birthday. When you hear this, it will no longer be my birthday. So if you say happy birthday, I'm going to be like, you're late. (laughs) Old news. It's been a long time since we've recorded and we've been working on the behind the scenes business of like getting the setup all organized. It looks amazing. It's definitely getting there. I still have stuff that I want to do, but uh, yeah. I love it. It's usable and it's fun. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. And another thing, since we like haven't been recording in what, a year and a half or something? I mean, I think we stopped recording like March. Okay. So not a year and a half. It has not been that long. Your sense of time. Much but. like your name is very fluid. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. I'm like, what year is it? Where am I? But yeah, like in that very short period of time, we decided that we'll also um, stream on Twitch. So if you guys want to watch us like... Um, fuck around. Fuck find around. Out. Yeah. Do our research. <laughs> if you want to do my research for me. <laughs> so I actually looked back at my old Twitch account and it was just called Jolie Boring Gamer. Because I was just going to do things like play solitaire. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like not not anything interesting, just like solitaire and like, what is it? Minesweeper, just, stuff like that. <laughs> I don't even know how to play that. When I was a kid, I would just like click on the numbers and be like, something happened. I yeah. think I won. I still don't understand. Or Me like, what, what was the other one? Snake? Yeah. I loved that. I loved my Nokia phone. Oh, hell yeah, man. Ooh, yeah. I should play Tetris and just watch me get like really frustrated. So fucking frustrated for about an hour and then throw something. Jolie, angry gamer. Boring, angry gamer. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to watch this. I know that. If you did it in a hot tub, people would. Those hot tub streams are kind of awesome. I posted that I wanted to do an OnlyFans, but just dress up as Mothman and squawk at the camera. And I got so many people who are like, I would actually pay for that. And I was like, <laughs> should I? I bet you people would. Should I? <laughs> But like, it's not the, it's not the right kind of content for that platform. So I'm not really sure. Like, well, don't you know that they like do so much more than porn? Sure. (laughs) Sure. Do they though? Like, what is that? It's like that one guy who posted like math tutoring on Pornhub. Did you read about that? No, but that is fantastic. So this guy who ran uh, like an educational kind of tutoring school, and I guess these are like really popular in China. I'm assuming it's China. Please don't come for me. If it's a different country in the It Asian might be though. I applied for one of those area. when I was like desperate during COVID. Like yeah, a Chinese so they're, educational They're just thing. like everywhere, right? But I guess this guy had, he had tutored someone and then that person, I think, had opened a school directly below them and taken like a lot of his business because oh I God. think they were like a little bit cheaper. So he started posting hour long 
calculus and like stuff like that onto Pornhub. And he got like a lot of people who wanted to see that who were like, yes. Someone said something to the effect of like post-nut clarity and calculus or something like that. It's like, what? Oh my the God. World? How interesting. So, I didn't know anything about it until I saw this like Vice article pop up and I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh my gosh, I want to read more about that. That's so interesting. Was he trying to generate revenue? I think he was just trying to like piggyback off of, I'm sure it's one of like Pornhub's like weird things that they were doing. Like they have ended up in the news so many times over like just random shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he was like, I'll just piggyback off of this and see if I can get some more people to come in. And now there's like a bunch of people like jerking off to math books. Well, they're not (laughs) jerking off to math books, I don't think, unless that's like, if that's your thing, then that's fine. But (laughs) I think it's just like they were there and they were like, well, I've always wanted to learn about this. So... I might as well. That's very sweet. Yeah. So I don't think he does it anymore, but it was a thing for a little bit. Changing (laughs) the world one one dick at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of changing the world, I am talking about somebody today who tried to change the world, but did it in a very bad, poor, I mean, poor execution. I don't know. I'll tell you the story. You can decide for yourself. Good idea. Right. White execution. Oh, wait, that sounds real bad. That sounds worse. You, you just tell me what you're doing. <laughs> just, just go for it. Okay. <laughs> Rachel Bach. Hello, it's Jem. I'm recording a special message. Not because I just want to say hi, but <laughs> because I'm an idiot. For my entire episode, I called Renee Bach, Rachel. <laughs> How did I even do all of that research? with her name wrong when you listen to the episode every time you hear me say Rachel I actually think I might sound like a robot saying Renee Renee (laughs) I hope you like the episode I'm so embarrassed white savior oh Renee Bach was a homeschooled Baptist from Bedford Virginia second oldest of five it's too many kids I know. What was that show? Like John and Kate plus eight? Like, no, thank you. I think at a certain point, kind of like in the, what is it, 19 and counting, the kids just start taking care of each other. Totally. And like, where do they sleep? Like, you need a huge house for that. Oh my God. Did she, was she rich? I don't think so. I mean, I think middle class, homeschooled, religious, Baptist. Um, She graduated from high school in 2007. But again, she was homeschooled. And then right after that, she went to Uganda. So I guess at her church, like people just started talking about like missionary stuff. And she's like, this is awesome. I want to do it. I've always been a heathen, but even I had thoughts about like, wouldn't it be wonderful to just go and help people? Yeah. You know, and I, I think a lot of people that join missionaries and do that stuff, that's what they want to do. Yeah. You know, but I think in some instances it's misguided. Oh, yeah. And it can be very ego-based, too. Mm-hmm. There's apparently a type of narcissist that's called the communal narcissist. Really? Yeah, where they really get off on having people think that they're really amazing and they're actually like assholes behind the scenes, but like they're doing all the, this charitable work. <laughs> right. So they're like, okay, they're, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because then you're getting all that like praise and stuff. Yeah, like, it can feel for really something good. that you're actually doing. So that when somebody actually says, well, actually, you're not really helping all that much. You're like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm a savior. I built you a well, bitch. Thank me. Well, kind of not the same thing at all, but I do those Instagram lives and like look hot or whatever. And that's like a problem with Instagram sometimes. So I did it for a charity the other day and like raised money for the charity. And I'm like, I can't get in trouble for this. <laughs> I'm being a good person. 
Hey, I do not call me on anything because I did this for charity. Mm -hmm. That's why I was dancing like that. (laughs) (laughs) For the animals. (laughs) But really, it felt good. So I get it. Maybe I'm a narcissist. We're all narcissists a little bit. It's kind of a part of staying alive. Yeah. But I guess if you ever take an online quiz wondering if you're a narcissist, you're you're not. not. No. If you even have the like self-reflective capacity to think, wait, is this a narcissistic behavior? Mm -hmm. Then you're probably not a narcissist. Just There might be something else that's horribly wrong with you, but that's not (laughs) it. Or just like a little bit self-involved. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Back to this lady. Okay. So she, in 2007, she had graduated that year and then she went right to Uganda after that. And she worked at an, uh, an orphanage and stayed for nine months. And where she was, was the city of Jinja, which is like, I think it's the second biggest city. Yeah. And also there's like a lot of American volunteers and missionaries that are there. So I guess in some ways that kind of gave it a little bit more hustle and bustle because like money came into the area and stuff like that. It's in the Eastern region of Uganda and it's 50 miles by road. So it's actually not very big. That's not big at all. It's not very big at all. It was colonized by British people in 1948. What wasn't? Yeah. The city was planned by a German person who made different neighborhood units, but that's actually what turned into the slums later. In the 1950s, that displaced a thousand residents. So like this whole thing of like trying to, you know, make the area. (laughs) like, we're going to make it so much better for you guys, but you guys need to move out first. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's horrible. I mean, it's just like. This place that you've been living for hundreds of years, you need to go. Get out of here. This is now a neighborhood unit. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, it was just for like the ruling elite, the people in charge, Mm -hmm. they all lived there. In 2002, the population was 71,213. Well, it's small, but like 50 miles for that many people is like... I guess that's true. What is the, what is our population of our city? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't even, (laughs) I don't even want to look it up. (laughs) I'll, I'll look it up, but I won't enjoy looking it up. So our population is around 650,000. Our city area is 144. Well, 145 square miles, basically. Yeah, wow. So that's like the, what the same, basically the same if this is ha- about half of that, like 70,000 70, miles and that's like 160. But, you know, we also have like buildings, you know, apartments, yeah. you know, it's a little different. Yeah, it's it's structured a lot, a lot more um, conducive to stacking people on top of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which that I guess like kind of happens in the slums. Sounds more exciting than it is. Well, especially in areas like that where it is so poverty stricken, not by normal means, but by mm-hmm. people just coming in and being like, this is mine now, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, when that happens, it, it does tend to be like people stacked on top of people. So a lot of people crammed into one very small area with like shanties, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like even thinking about like New Delhi, which is another yeah. like British occupied mm-hmm. location. You see all of these just buildings just stacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually what I was thinking of when I said that about Slumdog Millionaire and just like their home. Oh my God. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, that has nothing to do with Uganda. Yeah. It's a similar feel. Like humans are not that interesting. Like when something like this happens, when people are occupied by invading forces, then they tend to, mm-hmm. you know, react in the same way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, that was in the 50s. Their population increased over time, like obviously, but honestly, not really that much. In 2002, it was only 1,000 more. So yeah, that's just a little bit about Jinja. A town of 80,000 on the northern edge of Lake Victoria, Jinja is a bustling place. (laughs) 
<laughs> what the fuck? So yeah, so she went there. She went back home. She was 19 years old and she just decided I'm going to move there. And she did. And when she moved there, she started a program called Serving His Children. And that program was giving free hot meals to local kids. Twice a week, about a thousand of them would line up by her home to receive a bowl of food. Something that she was just doing like out of love when she was there. She's just like, this is horrible. And nobody deserves to not eat. Exactly. And she wanted to help them. So it's like she had good intentions, at least in the beginning. She was there for two years and people started hearing more about the feeding program because it's like kind of amazing. And by 2009, there was a children's hospital that contacted her and basically asked if she could help out with kids that were super malnourished, like hearing about it. And they were only going to send children who were like stable so that they could just eat food. But because this was such a, a wonderful, helpful thing... And because like hospital care isn't necessarily, I mean, I mean, it just isn't affordable. Like, no, you know, there's not, <laughs> there's not health insurance. Like that's just not a thing. I mean, it, it might be, I guess, for people with more money, but I'm not sure. I didn't read anything saying that. I read the contrary. And I mean, even if health insurance is a thing, people who don't have money are not going to be able to afford it. So because of that, they have to pay for like everything. I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit, but like more stuff than we would have to pay for. That's kind of a lot to say about like American healthcare because our healthcare is for profit. We're charged for everything as well. So like yeah. to, to read that and see that it was kind of more intense is like, oh my God. Well, it's more intense because they got no options. You, you've got like one clinic that you can go to, then yeah, and some they've of got them you over a barrel. Away. Totally. So people with sick kids were hearing about like this wonderful white woman, you know, and they all say this, just like, oh, the white doctor, like the white angel. I think they were was. calling her a white doctor. Yeah. So the white oh. doctor thing came a little bit later, but you know, people are just like, there's like this white woman, and she's giving out free food, and like you need to go there, and people just started showing up there with very sick children. And I think her love of Jesus and God and like her commitment to being a good person, she just couldn't turn them away. And I get that. Well, yeah, it would feel awful. Like you want to bend over backwards to try to make sure that everybody gets the help that they need, right? The center was not a hospital and it didn't employ any doctors. And this is in 2009. Keep this in mind, like for the whole story, but she at this time was a 20-year-old high school graduate with no medical training. So let's talk a little bit about serving his children, her nonprofit. So that was her nonprofit. Yeah, she created it using money. Like it was funded from her Baptist church in Virginia. And it was registered as an NGO with the Ugandan government and it got a certificate. I mean, basically just to be a missionary, you know, to help the needy, to... Promote evangelism. Bach ended up hiring a nurse and was continuing to raise money in America. She had a blog. I'm sure they have some sort of like missionary forums or something, right. you know, to like spread the word, raise money. So saving his children didn't end up being registered as a hospital or like a health center for about four years. I guess when people were coming in during that time, they had a release form to sign, which basically said. I realize that this is not a registered hospital. This is a nutritional rehabilitation facility. The forms were in English, which is one of the languages spoken in Uganda. But I guess they have 50 languages that are spoken there. And also many of the clients there were illiterate. So it didn't matter. So it's like they don't know what they're signing. That's not, it's not acceptable to not have somebody who can speak on behalf for them. That already is kind of like, So did oh, the, was the nurse white? No, the nurse was Ugandan. Okay. Yeah. Her name was Constance Alano. And did she speak multiple languages? Like, could she translate it all or do do they say anything about that? They did have another translator. I mentioned him a little later. There's a, there's a whole lawsuit. We haven't talked about it yet, but 
Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. What the fuck, Jolie? I just get excited <laughs> about information. My outline's already hard enough just to figure out. I suck. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, the forms were in English. People were literate. It doesn't matter. They could have just written squiggles and it wouldn't have made a difference. Because of all of the like malnutrition and stuff, like it's actually a really serious thing. Yeah, to get food back in people who have not had appropriate food for so long, you can kill somebody. You can't just like give them meals. You can't just give them milk, you know, because it was like babies and stuff there. Oh my gosh. And like if the babies are dehydrated and aren't drinking milk, then that's a whole separate situation. Like you can give someone a stroke. Yeah. Well, yeah. So when a child or really anybody is like severely malnourished, your body starts to like eat itself in order to survive. And because of this, it like stops the enzymes in your body from functioning properly, you know, which then causes your major organs not to function. So when doctors start introducing new nutrients, it's like your electrolytes can get super fucked up. Okay, so your electrolytes get all fucked up. And then that causes a deadly condition known as refeeding syndrome. In world-class pediatric intensive care units, when they deal with this sort of stuff, they're closely monitoring these people like right. physicians. Like it's not a nurse. It's like a real doctor. Like and they're blood like, draws, constant checks for their heart to make sure their heart's not going to explode or something. All sorts of stuff. The hospitals asked her to do this thing. And I think she knew at the time that they couldn't really provide the level of care that this needed, even though she had been guaranteed they'd be like nursed back to health already. But I think the reality of that was like kind of obvious right. that it wasn't going to be like that. You know, and then she just sort of thought, well, the hospitals can't take them and they're understaffed and underfunded and whatever. Like, okay, I'm just going to take them. What difference does it make? A fucking huge difference, mm -hmm. bitch. What are you talking about? What difference does it make? I know. Okay. There's something that I left out that I think is like kind of important. There's like a, a nonprofit reporting website called GuideStar. And I found some information there just about SHC serving his children in case you forgot. So I just want to say the initial main goals that they had and like kind of like their mission statement. It's just unfucking real right? <laughs> I like how leading into it, you're like, okay, so here's their mission statement. It's just unfucking real. Well, it is. Okay, so all that I would love for that to be the beginning of their mission statement. <laughs> it's just unfucking real. All these starving people. Let's fix it, fuckers. I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean just, just, just the the things that she's saying. Like, okay, she knew that she was in a hospital. Right. Like, she knew that it was tricky to like refeed people. All of this. Okay, so this was in 2009 when it was incorporated, and the three main goals were. To provide medical treatment. <laughs> like, no, that's, you know, that's not something that you're capable of, my yeah. friend. Yeah. To provide medical treatment, nutrition, education, and help community leaders and local hospitals utilize local resources for food. So, yeah, I mean, they are utilizing the local resources, i.e. her. That form of narcissism you're talking about, like, really resonates here. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it's like her being naive, you know, and just like probably a little bit of both. And, well, do you remember what you were like in your early 20s? I remember feeling like I could take on the world. Like I was just capable of anything because my brain wasn't fully developed and I didn't have the <laughs> prefrontal cortex to tell me, nah, bitch, you need to stay in your lane here because this is not something that you can do. I never felt You can't like do that. all of it. I just felt like I could like, if I really tried, I could do anything. That's so Not nice. necessarily that I would be good at it, but that I could like at least do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't like so full of myself that I was like, I would be the best at everything that I ever tried. I would just mm -hmm. be like, I'm sure that if I tried, I could make this happen. That's really great. And that's kind honestly. of how I approach life now. I'm just like, I know it's not going to be great. It's not going to be perfect. But 
Yeah. I can make it happen. I think most of the things you do do end up great, though. You're very talented. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm, So like, I I feel it. Like she, she had these big goals, but also if you don't have someone tempering, you're like... Every, everyone in their early 20s is a bit of a narcissist. Yeah. Slash a lot, <laughs> totally. a, a lot of a narcissist. Yeah. If you don't have someone saying, okay, bitch, you need to just calm down for a second. Like, yeah. Like reel it in. This is like real people's lives. Yeah. This like, is like really dangerous what you're doing here. And you need to really think about like long term what this is going to say if yeah. you fail. Well, and speaking of that, like she has admitted several times that like she knew that this wasn't sustainable. Like a lot of the things that they were doing, like was not sustainable. She was like, I have to do this now, but like, we have to figure out a better way. Like the, if you knew really. it wasn't sustainable, <laughs> then fucking don't do it, man. Don't start it. Don't start none. Won't be none. So she had a blog that she like wrote about all of these things. In July, 2010, she says, tomorrow I'm picking up four more children from the hospital. She asked her followers to pray for the children's recovery, adding, I also ask that you please pray for my sanity. So okay, on their website for SHC, they do have GuideStar seal of transparency, which means that they like are open to share stuff with them. And so they were transparent before the lawsuit was over. And also at this time, like as time went on, they did start bringing on like more medical staff. Okay. You know, and this is actually where things start to get like a little bit messy, you know, like there's all, there's two sides to every story. On one side, you have like these women in Uganda that went to her clinic to help their children. There's two people, two families that are in the lawsuit or that participated in the lawsuit. It's over now. Over 100 children died there. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Can you imagine living with that? I mean, I don't think that she has that much guilt around it. Like not because of who she is as a human, but because I, you know, because I think she's a bad person necessarily, but she like believed in what she was doing. and And she thought that she did the best that she could. So how could she have guilt around it? Yeah. Well, it's like, as we were talking, I'm like remembering parts of what I'm supposed to be sharing with you. And it's just like, <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about her medical career. Let's talk, mm. let's, let's go there. The homeschool graduate. Yeah. No, no college. You know, as, as things were moving forward, she did like continue to hire more like actual medical staff. I think nurses and maybe one doctor. They weren't always there. And more often than not, if there was like a serious situation and she couldn't wait for you know, answers or whatever, she would just go ahead and do what she needed to do. But anyway, she hired this nurse from North Dakota and she also was like religious, wanted to like do this, this kind of stuff. And when she got to the nutrition center, she was like really shocked at how sick the children were, not just because of not eating, but a lot of them had really serious illnesses, you know, like parasites, tuberculosis, pneumonia, some were in stage four HIV. Oh my God. Were any of them quarantined? Or were they all no. just... Oh, and, and they did receive, Yeah, they received a violation in 2017 for that, for not separating... Tuberculosis and the contagious diseases. Yeah. So almost every week a child would die. This nurse who came there felt that Bach, who at this time was 22, so this, you know, 2009, that she was handling a lot of the, med- the medical care herself. In response to hearing what the nurse said, Bach says, I, it's a quote from her. I mean, I can tell you time and time again, she says to NPR taking kids to hospital after hospital and then being like, meh, we don't really deal with malnutrition. Your best bet is to take them back to your nutrition center. It wasn't (laughs) ideal, but what do you do in a non-ideal situation? Yeah, I can see that. Where it's like, well, nobody's going to accept them. So there's nothing else that we can do except for just our best. Yeah. And then there needs to be clarity around that. Like, hey, 
you brought your kid here. We are not this kind of place. This is not our our wheelhouse. Yeah, so but you then have they to sign be, that that form. And oh my god, you know. And it's like, why would you think that they're they're doing something wrong because you're not like paying them anything? You know, they're providing a service, right? For the community, but it's also all couched in the like, well, come believe in Jesus, also, because look at mm-hmm. what we've done for you. We've killed your children. You're yeah, welcome. Man. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I was saying, it's like if you if you put a child on an IV who is completely mal- malnourished, it'll give them a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't continue to adjust the sodium potassium, they're just going to die. Like you need to be monitoring them. If there's not trained medical staff and there's not people like available at all times, like so much so that Rachel Bach is like put in charge of taking care of these people, like the chances of them dying are very high. In 2011, of the, 20, of the 129 children that she took in, 20% of them died. Nearly a third of them in the first two days. Oh my God. Nearly a third of them in the first two days. Nearly a third of the 20% of the 129. How does that even happen? It's because there was not a doctor there. So, right. you know, then 2012, the next year, at this time, there was a nurse. These inpatient cases, you know, it went to 18% from 20. So, I mean, that's... Better. That's that's trending the right direction. Still not good. In 2013, she hired two doctors and the death rate was 10%. Okay. I mean... So that's that's a significant drop. Yeah. Even like just in general, like for these like international aid groups or whatever, like the the death rates are high. You know, I think... um, Well, yeah, they're always going to be higher than the average. I would think the average is probably around three to 5%, right? uh, Well, I'm just coming out of my ass with that, like based on... I have it written down in here. I can't find that percentage, but it is smaller, but it's not 3%. Okay. It's higher than that. Um, Around the same time though, so the the nurse I was talking about, her name is Jacqueline Grace Kramlick. She quit four months after starting working there because it was just completely unethical, she says. She says, due to my inability to remain in such an unethical environment. Oh. So the things that she observed, Bach do, it's kind of an extensive list. Here's the unethical stuff. She observed Bach attempt to diagnose and treat pediatric patients who, you know, had symptoms of like AIDS and HIV and heart failure and malaria, more than malnutrition, tuberculosis. That's over the top. I can't wait to get through some of this right now and tell you like her rationalization. It's just insanity. Um, so yeah, she saw Bach carry out different procedures without a doctor's oversight, like putting in um, IVs, taking blood, delivering a child. And preparing dead bodies for burial. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Treating wounds, prescribing medications and dosing them. Um, what? Oh, yeah. I could almost understand like putting in IVs because it it's a skill and mm-hmm. it's something that you can learn. Yeah. But it's less complicated than treating someone's HIV. I just can't wait to just wait. Okay. okay I'm going to tell you this one, one, two, I have two more like lists of things she did wrong. Okay. Um, so she um, watched her administer re- rehabilitation feeds that had way too many calories, watched her give like really big amounts of like fluids and those children would die. She only treated children, right? Yeah. Only children. And to, oh, to uh, Jacqueline's knowledge, no death certificates were ever obtained or issued nor any autopsies performed. And then just like stuff that's really silly, like not washing hands, you know, things like that, not wearing gloves. No excuse for those two things. Okay, I got to the part you're going to love. Oh, no. When I asked what she based her treatments on, she stated she relied heavily on the book where there is no doctor. 
as well as her gut feelings. Bach also said that she felt God would tell her what to do for the child. Was God telling her to kill children? Is that what she's implying here? What's this fucking book where there is no doctor? There should be a doctor where there is no doctor. How about that? Right. Well, find a doctor. And it's like, that's kind of like in an emergency. And I mean, I guess like it kind of is an emergency, but it's just so unethical. She had a nursing staff, but I guess right. more often than not, she would just like not do the things that they said, probably because she felt as though God was communicating with her. Or... What's the point of hiring a nursing staff if you won't listen to them? I don't know, man. Okay, now this this lady for sure is a narcissist. Oh, totally. I know that you're a professional, but like, I just don't feel it in my heart. Like, you're right. So I'm just not going to listen to you. Yeah, basically. And, I, you know, this nurse said something kind of along the lines of like, you know, she was college educated, like she really knew her job. And like, it seemed like Bach kind of pushed against that, you know, because she was like high school educated, didn't really know anything. Because she was insecure. In charge. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she said that she would regularly override the nurse's judgments. And I guess Jacqueline asked why she didn't ask for outside medical help. She admitted that she doesn't believe Ugandan doctors know what they're talking about. And she felt that she had more knowledge because she had access to like the internet. So do Ugandan doctors. Right. And they have medical training. Right. So it's like this idea that as an American, a blonde, white American woman, like she's showing up to this country that she doesn't necessarily know very much about, like thinking that she knows more than a trained doctor who might happen to be Ugandan. Just kind of like this country is a shit show. Like I'm here with. I'm here in your shithole country to save you. You're Uh welcome. Yeah, it's. Oh my yeah, God. It, it's strange, you know, but she also did do some good things. Any of the good stuff that she does is now overshadowed by her overwhelming narcissism. In the trial, Jacqueline said that like the most disturbing thing that ever happened was that Bach asked her whether she could give a bottle of IV iron instead of giving a child a blood transfusion to treat their anemia. And evidently she what? said, I really just want to try it and see what happens. People already did that. That's why you give blood transfusions instead of that. There have already been tests. You don't need to do your own testing. Right. You know, so it's like this level of desperation she has. Like, I want to save this person. Like I was sent here by God. I'm on this mission. Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's like you want to try it and see what happens because you think you have this idea that's better. <laughs> I mean, it's but just also, like, like, let's just talk about this. If God was actually sending you, if you were sent by God, why wouldn't you have either been sent to a medical program and then there? Or why wouldn't God have said, oh, you know what? This is not the one for you. Let's let's choose this doctor over here. Let's choose the many Ugandan doctors that are already there and provide some money for them to do more good work. There, because there wasn't as much like infrastructure and stuff, like a lot of these hospitals were far away and like people didn't necessarily want to come, you know, work at this place. I don't know. It's hard for me because I see both sides of the story. I mean, I definitely think that she is wrong. In some ways, I understand. What do you do? There's all these dying kids. People are showing up with like their sick babies on your doorstep, you know? And if you feel like you have this mission to like do good or whatever, fuck, what do I, what do I do? Or I feel holy like moly, what do I do? There's a <laughs> fuck. <Yeah. laughs> Jesus Christ. Right. What do I do, Jesus Christ? <laughs> there's a difference though between saying, okay, I really can't turn anyone away. So even though I don't know what to do here, I still have to try something because these kids are going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. And saying, I kind of just want to try the iron or mm. I kind of just want to, I know that you're a nurse and I hired you, but like I don't agree. So like that's where it changes for me. That's where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, so you're not actually doing this to help people you're doing this to satisfy your own ego 
Oh, well, totally. And, you know, so when this came out in the trial, Bach was interviewed by ABC and she speaks of this saying that they didn't part on the best terms, which ironically, everybody who spoke against her was like a disgruntled past employee or not employee, but volunteer. That Um, says a lot to me. Same. So, you know, what you're saying about her fragile ego, this is a quote from the affidavit. Kremlick repeatedly made it known that she did not like working with me, someone who is younger than herself and who is without her level of academic training, although she understood this would be the situation. Like, so I think that when she would say things like, I don't think that's a good idea, things like that, like she saw that as her like being condescending, you know, it became like very personal. And that's kind of what like narcissism does to people. Like you can't take any critique without it being a personal attack. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's because I'm young and I don't have the training. Like you don't, you don't agree with me, not because I'm not right, but because I'm young. That's not accurate, man. I know. In regard to those like really fucked up statistics, the driver who like had to transport bodies and stuff says that those can't be accurate because he transported anywhere between five and 10 bodies of children back to their families per week. You know, so they weren't doing death certificates. So they weren't taking accurate counts at all. It could it could be any number. Yeah. And also sometimes people would leave their children. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's like some of them were like, there's no way that I can care for this child. So mm-hmm. yeah, just like so the child them. is completely unaccounted for by anybody. There was a story about a baby that was left outside and like found basically dead outside because oh nobody God. knew it was there. And Tragic. it's like you hear these fucked up things and you're like, OK, like I want to help, too. But like, but like to help, you should just give money to the Ugandan government. Yeah. Are they corrupt? Actually, I think they might be at this point. Yeah. I think if so. China hasn't already gotten to them to like completely buy them out, which is a thing that they're doing around Africa. Really? Yep. We should do an episode about it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually you telling me about this. Yeah. You told me about it. Yeah. And like also throughout the US, like buying homes and cash. Mm-hmm. And just sitting on the property. Yeah. It's weird. It's kind of scary. One of the episodes, one of the episode ideas that I want to do, not this next time, but the following time is how the Cold War never actually ended. Yeah. It just changed. Yeah, for real. But that's a different one, you guys. You're not going to get that one next time. I know. Now I'm like thinking about the USSR. and Yeah. uh, Russia is completely involved in like the whole thing too. Isn't it interesting? Like all our bad guys and stuff are always Russian, like the bad guy in a movie. It's like, I mean, it's completely based yeah, on we're like, like nemesis. Yeah, it's the the Cold War and and all of that stuff. Like it really pounded into people's minds like, oh, if you speak in a cold language, then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like German or Russian or Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have full circle to our language mm-hmm. conversation. Look at us. I know, right? Bring it up back. So, yeah, we don't have accurate death counts is yeah, basically no what you're saying. There's counts. no way. No. And also it's just like, there's really back and forth about like what happened, what didn't happen. I guess like 3.1 million children die worldwide from malnutrition every year. Um, You know, so there is like a need for meals. No, there's a need for people to stop hoarding money. We've got plenty of resources. I feel you. Ain't nobody needs to be homeless unless they just want to live on the land and ain't nobody needs to be hungry. There is absolutely no excuse. I know. We are the only animal that does this. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Insanity. It is strange. Hello again. It's Jam. Story time. So a few days ago, Jolie texted me just telling me all about this whole debacle with the name. Um, me calling Renee Bach, Rachel, whatever. And she sent me a video like right after we were texting. So obviously it was like me saying something stupid. Um, And right now I can't even lie to you. This is not going to be a blind react because I just watched it (laughs) during my reaction. 
I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. I called her Rachel again. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna watch the video again. And I guarantee I'm gonna laugh even more because like, I'm an idiot, but you love me. <laughs> so how I was talking about her being called the white doctor, people also called her Aunt Renee. Who's Aunt Renee? Is her name Renee Bach? Maybe I'm wrong about who that is. Yeah, her name's Rachel. Who the fuck is Renee? Because is that a mistype? It might have been a mistype. That might just be some other, like, white woman who lived there. <laughs> no! Everyone's dying. So there's two women who decided to sue. I assume they were parents? Yeah. I want to tell their side of the story. There's, like, a, a nonprofit called the Women's Pro Bono Initiative, and that is who helped these women file the lawsuit. Uh, the lawsuit's plaintiffs are the two children's mothers and the Women's Pro Bono Initiative, which is an organization for civil rights of Ugandan women. They basically just wanted to have them shut down and to pay for the damages they caused. You know, obviously the things that they were suing for was like that she represented herself as a doctor, you know, and the reason why is that she often wore a doctor's coat and stethoscope. Oh. Um, so... For I mean, what? who fucking knows, Dress up. dude? And so many people talk about it. Like almost everybody's affidavits mention how she had the stethoscope around her neck and that she knew consciously that she was known as the white doctor. Oh my God. You know, people just assumed that um, from her, her blog. She's deleted these posts, but it's in the court documents. Yeah. So she talks about, you know, cases of the children that were there, that she would hook the child up to oxygen, take their temperature, yada, yada, do the blood transfusion. Uh, in response to this in her affidavit, she, she says that she attended a five-day wilderness first aid course in 2009. She didn't view the training as a substitute for a degree. <laughs> but she says that she learned to place IV catheters in that class and she always did it under the supervision of a doctor. Yeah. She says, over the years, I've unfortunately been put in situations where I felt it necessary to act outside of my qualifications. She wrote, I can see and do not deny my past mistakes as a leader and recognize that were I to have chosen differently, I may not have overstepped my bounds in such a manner. It's clear to me that as the director of any ministry, it's my responsibility to ensure that qualified personnel are operating in every sector. In response to those blog posts where she says that she, you know, was doing all that medical stuff in her blog, she says that she was writing in the first person to like kind of talk to her audience and that it wasn't her. Like she used creative liberty, you know, which also is like completely fucked up, you know, taking the credit for the work of all these people. So that you can seem like a savior. Exactly. Like it's like actually like the same thing. Yeah. You know, and she does admit these things. She says, I was a young American woman boarding a plane to Africa, inexperienced and idealistic, working on an intractable problem. My desire to go to Uganda was to help people and to serve. She got in over her head. Mm -hmm. And that she like based her treatment on her gut feelings and just kind of what she thought she could do. And But she's always like in these apologies, it seems like she's putting the blame on like circumstances instead of like, oh, I'm a fucked up person and I did something really wrong. Totally. So this is the story of one of the boys. Um, his name was Twalali and he was very sick when he was admitted um, on July 10th, 2013. So like he was completely filled with fluid, like the distended stomach, swollen limbs. He just had like protein deprivation, dehydration, vitamin deficiency, uh, malaria, respiratory infection, anemia, and dehydration. God. They sent a stool sample away and he also had like a infectious gastroin, you know, just like a tummy bug. So he was admitted to the hospital. A night nurse examined him and said that they needed to get an antibiotic. 
They gave him an IV, a nurse did to give him nutrients. They gave him oxygen. He was like fine. And they decided to send him home. The nurse came in and visited three times. When he left, he no longer had malaria, but he got like really bad diarrhea. He got high fever. And then he started to refuse food, I think two days from his discharge. And he was comatose by the next morning. The doctors and nurse tried to give him like more IV fluids and he died that morning. So here's something kind of interesting though about this, right? So this happened to this child, right? okay? And like this child's grandma remembers seeing Bach personally there taking care of her child, but she was not in Uganda at the time that the child was there. Mm, That's tricky. Yeah, she had an exit stamp on her passport and I guess they're just like, well, you could have like faked that. So we don't know. It's, It's inconclusive. I read an article by this woman, um, a Jewish woman who I really actually liked her article the best. It was very non-biased and she actually like interviewed her and it was in The New Yorker, uh, a missionary on trial, it was called. And it's written by someone named Ariel Levy. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed her article and she spoke to a professor from Harvard about just like this sort of stuff. And he says, my overall conclusion is that there is no question this child was regularly attended and in, gen- and in general closely monitored, but the child likely needed a high- higher level and more frequent review by a physician or a child health expert. And there were a few deviations from standard management of malnutrition. So basically he got too much IV fluid. Right. Like they were watching him, but they didn't really know what they were doing. So it seems like he's saying they did their best and not everything that they did was bad, but like Mm -hmm. they needed more help than they had. Yes. He was in a tricky place. It's like too much fluid and he would die. Too little fluid and he would die. The, there was researchers that came in and, you know, researched these things. And I mean, in the end, it was inconclusive. They did not charge her of... Like manslaughter or whatever they would have no, charged her Yeah, with. and they also like didn't really find that she was like doing something necessarily wrong. Initially, like when they went there, her, her health um, license or whatever had expired because there was just like some sort of error. And when they went to like the authorities, like it was supposed to be a full calendar year. And for some reason, it wasn't a full calendar year. So they didn't get in trouble for that. I don't know how they could have found it conclusive. I mean, I I highly doubt they were taking accurate records. They weren't even doing proper death certificates and counting up deaths per week. Totally. So who the fuck knows? It just says that their team's unable to support the allegations that the children died in large numbers. They didn't find any evidence that she was treating children, you know, and that the healthcare workers that were there were appreciative of their work. I'll read some quotes from them in in a moment, but... um. So there was another child named Elijah who passed away. They do not have any medical records for him because according to SHC, he was never admitted. Kakai says in her affidavit that in July 2008, Elijah received a diagnosis of tuberculosis at a hospital. An SHC driver brought her and her son to a health center called Kigandalo where SHC was running a malnutrition program in partnership with the Ugandan government. They wouldn't admit him because they didn't have an isolated war for TB. They gave him milk and then they gave her money. Find someplace else. Mm-hmm, to like get out of town. Um, the next day her son was more sick. She, they went to a government hospital and then he died there three days later. She believes that the employees at SHC like did something to kill her child, maybe giving him tainted milk. It's more likely that he just like died because yeah, he, he was already and had tuberculosis. And I mean, it's non-conclusive and it's that's a little interest, interesting to me because she was not in the country at one of the times and the other one like wasn't directly at her clinic, but one that was like 
in partnership with the government at a different location. And it seems like that one was just like, I can understand a, a parent wanting to like find somebody to blame because it's just horrible and you have to find something to like justify what happened. But that one seems a little bit more like the child was just very sick and he just didn't get the help that he needed on time. There's so many different pieces of this. There's a another nonprofit called Non-White Saviors that was created by a woman named Kelsey Nielsen and Olivia Alasso. They found out about SHC in 2014 and they were able to like figure out the lawsuit with the Women's Pro Bono Initiative, whatever. Nielsen says about her own NGO that she started in 2013. It's called Abide. Um, and they also helped people with food, helped families not have to like give their children away to orphanages, help them pay for stuff, offered parenting classes. Like they really did a lot of good stuff. Kelsey openly admits that she like really felt like she was better than Bach because of this stuff. You know, she's just kind of like, I always thought I was a little bit better than them because I actually went to school for what I was doing. In 2013, there was a child named Shari Fu who was at Abide for several months. He lived in their emergency housing. They put pictures of him on Facebook and Bach noticed him on Facebook and remembered that he was treated at her facility. She said, we have a huge medical and history file on him. I can have someone get that to you. And then she put like a sad face emoji. It's super sad. We live in the same town, but never get to see each other. We really need to fix the lack of hanging coffee or breakfast. Let's be saviors together. Right. I know. Besties. They were training her grandma, like parenting stuff. You know, they just like they wanted the child to go back to his family. Right. She was going to send social workers to follow up with SHC. Nobody ever did. The child got sicker. The abide people brought him to a hospital in Kampala. And then they gave him like a diagnosis of heart problems. They started raising money for him. Bach promised that like she would help fund stuff. She says about this instance, I literally met her on the side of the road one day and handed over the money. And Kelsey was like, thanks, see ya. Then they made this <laughs> social media post that they had gone to see his cardiologist and that it was like this miracle. He's healed. And that night the kid just died. Then I started seeing her around town and she would just look like she was going to kill me. So that's what Bach said about Kelsey. Kelsey is still blaming Bach for this child's death. You know, Bach was like, why are you blaming me for this? I don't get it. I guess he had like a a bunch of heart attacks. She felt that there was neglect on SHC's part because like, why would the child have left their facility like still so severely malnourished and dehydrated right. and, you know, just all these things. Like if you followed up with the patient, like you'd see that the child wasn't necessarily better and right. that he was sick. Yeah. So they, they ended up shutting down her facility like immediately when they kind of started hearing about what was going on. Just like get these kids out of here. Like you're right. done, whatever. Another employee, this person's name was Charles Olweni, and he said in his affidavit, he worked as a gatekeeper and then field program manager for serving his children from 2009 to 2017. He said that he and other staff members raised concerns during a meeting with like the organization's interim director. This is when, this is 2017. So this is after they did the whole like investigation into serving his children to see what's up and Buck stepped down and moved back to Virginia. Okay. I guess she was like getting death threats and stuff. Uh, that's not nice. No. So yeah, they brought it up in 2017, like just talking about Bach and her lack of medical qualifications, the high death rates, just everything. And also like learning that she wasn't, you know, a doctor, just a missionary. She was a Mr. Doctor. Yeah, really a miss, a miss doctor. Miss doctor. Miss. But, you know, he just said basically the same stuff, you know, that she was giving IVs, writing prescription, diagnosing people, 
also included that he would drive seven to 10 dead bodies of children back to their villages each week. Oh, geez. And again, he's supposed to be like a disgruntled employee. Right. You know, like that, like they ended on bad terms. And how can you end on good terms with a woman like this, though? Right. I know, man. <laughs> so then there's uh, Samai Jolly. I'm like just butchering these names. Samai Jolly Kaibanakola. Kaibanakola. I like that. So he said in an affidavit that he worked as an agriculturist uh, for serving his children, which I don't totally understand. Like a farmer? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a farmer to raise them food. But he was there from 2009 to 2017. And he had heard or had seen or was aware enough to bring it up in the court case that she encouraged mothers to encourage mothers to escape from children's hospitals like the main hospitals in Jinja to come back to her facility instead. So she was like poaching people? Yeah, that's what this person says. But other people, like I haven't heard that in anybody else. And there's some really weird stuff about this guy. He was actually a, a translator for like the dead children's families when they were going to like file all their court documents. Like he was the one who did it to help. So interestingly enough, it seems as though he was on the side of the children. <laughs> You know, right. Um, he assumed that she was a doctor. Same shit from the clinical coat. And again, everybody brings up the stethoscope. It's so funny that that's like the, the clarifier. Well, she's carrying a stethoscope. So there's only one purpose for that. And that's doctrine. I mean, it's true. I mean, why, yeah. why else would you have one? Or like at the very least, she would be like a nurse practitioner or something. Yeah. Like got her associates and like. <laughs> right. She's she's involved in medicine. She definitely has a degree. Yeah. Why would she have the jacket? The person who was in communication with him was Ariel Levy, the journalist, who I thought her article was the most, like if you're going to go through and look at the articles, hers was the most well-rounded and also well-researched because she was actually in touch with these people. So she ended up meeting up with this guy to interview him and he was just a weirdo, (laughs) like just a total weirdo conspiracy theorist. He would like start sending her, he started sending her articles and like weird stuff on WhatsApp. One of them claimed that the scientist Robert Gallo admitted to being forced to create an HIV virus as a secret weapon to like wipe out the African race. What? Uh, Yeah. Another video about like infected blood in like Cadbury products, which I guess for some reason they were like eating a lot of the candy. He ended up sending child porn. Oh my God. So she opened the video and it was like grainy and didn't notice. And then all of a sudden was like, oh my God, this is like violent child porn. So she ended up filing a police report. Why did he send it to her to just be like, look, white people are evil? I think so, because she ended up contacting Kelsey Nielsen from Abide and just kind of being like, what the hell? He sent me child porn. So here's a quote from her saying, Olivia and Wendy both said that it is common when they're is a concerning, disturbing video. People here will share it more as a concern over what is happening. So it's like a cultural thing. Just like, look at this. If you know this person, figure it out. Yeah, or just like, I guess the abuse of children by white people is legitimate or something. Um, (laughs) But Kelsey said, uh, it might've been good to ask him for context and to know why he's sending it. After a bit of back and forth, Nielsen agreed that there was no considerable explanation. I mean, if you get so deep into the rabbit hole, sometimes people do end up seeing stuff like this and being like, look, this proves my point. Yeah. I got to forward it. And it's like, well, but no, you got to forward it to authorities, man. But Olivia and Wendy, who like they checked in about the cultural stuff, work for Abide. Okay. And Kelsey said that she always let their opinion override her own when it comes to like cultural stuff because, you know, she doesn't know about it. And she actually calls herself a recovering white savior. Oh, which I think is, is cool. You know, yeah. that she's kind of like, oh my God. So she can speak to people about it from a very real place. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. 
Okay. So speaking of white saviors, I mean, I guess we haven't totally discussed what that is. Pretty straightforward. I mean, it's just like a white person helping impoverished people of color and thinking that they're saving them, right? Yeah. I think it's more along the lines of like not really having all of the information that you need to make informed choices, not really involving the locals or the people that you're helping, kind Mm -hmm. of just like forcing your ideology and like culture on them through these like nice acts. Yeah. Instead of just like giving them money and saying, you do what you do with it. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like some people want to be involved in the process of helping, but... But it should be like a a cultural thing. It should be like a, okay, well, the Ugandans need to lead the charge in this and tell us where the money goes and tell us what they need. Totally. And like, they should be the ones that were making the decisions like, oh, well, you probably should just come with me. It's like, or maybe they should like talk to a doctor first who like speaks their language and understands their culture and understands like the different, you know, hardships involved in these cultures. There's so many different cultures in such a small area. Yeah. Like the fact that there's 50 different languages spoken (laughs) is, I mean, that's a lot. That's, yeah, that's intense. You know, and also like way different cultural standards, probably depending on which group you're from or, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just weird to like come with the American idea of like, I know everything. You don't know shit. You need big buildings Mm. and like Starbucks and Jamba Juice. Refeed the children with Jamba Juice. Oh my God. (laughs) Pure sugar. I love it. Garbage food disguised as self food. (laughs) (laughs) Renee. Bach, like on being a white savior, says, I definitely went to Uganda with, you know, the mindset of a white savior. I think it's impossible to say that any person coming from a developed country such as America going to a place that would be considered underdeveloped, such as Uganda, wouldn't have a bit of white savior complex. That's fair. Yeah. You know, your desire is to help. I don't think that's a bad mindset. I think it's how you live that out, she added. And it was a quick turnaround for me to realize that I'm not needed here. You know, all of our programs are completely Ugandan run and operating. And that's true now. It it is. She Um, removed herself from the process, but only after like she got her ass handed to her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they like figured out all this stuff. I mean, she was like trending on Twitter for a while. Like there's a group called No White Saviors who Kelsey Nielsen, the recovering white savior, like works with other Ugandan activists on this whole thing. And they have a Twitter and they like completely blasted the internet with information about this whole thing that happened with her. I, I just really like the mission of No White Saviors because that woman, Kelsey, like sort of learned a lot when she started No White Savior. She was already she was already 30 years old and, you know, just felt kind of like, you know what, like I'm going to do something that matters. You know, I'm going to lead a movement that like matters. It's about like real issues. She says not about egos. People come up to us and treat us like we're celebrities, she said. People online, too. In a year and a half, the campaign has attracted more than 300,000 followers. That's a lot of human Jeez. beings and it's fast, you know, and like their kind of goal is to create a new normal in Africa. That's like, I think part of their mission statement. It's in bold. So it (laughs) must be important. (laughs) Yeah. In 2018, they launched their Instagram. They just did a lot of stuff. Like they're just like, we're African people and we're fine and we don't need like Western do-gooders to come here. I, I just love this. They're dedicated to revealing African people as the heroes of our own stories. Yeah. And she was also talking about like part of the reason she started this No White Saviors thing is about the Christian missionaries that are there. It's like a cult. Super evangelistic. Totally. She says, what you see over there is I never wanted to go to Africa. And then God told me I had to. It's his plan, not mine. The problem is if you can't make the choice to do it, then you can't make the choice to stop doing it. 
you know? Right. And I feel like I was kind of saying that. It's like, okay, but then like, what do you do? Right. If you feel like God is telling you to do this thing and you're like, but I'm not, this is not for me. Yeah. Or I'm not qualified or this is getting out of hand, but you're like, you have so much faith in God. But yeah. So also the other thing that's wonderful about this woman, Kelsey, is she started an Instagram that's called, I think, Savior Barbie or Barbie Savior. And it's basically like a Barbie doll who like, does volunteering, you know, and it's a selfie like next to uh, like a dying African baby. But it's like actually like a Barbie. Uh-huh. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the bio is Jesus, adventure, Africa, two worlds, one love, babies, beauty, not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Called 20 years young. It's not about me, but it kind of is. Oh. <laughs> I would like to say some stuff about the person that defended Renee Bach in the lawsuit. His name is attorney David Gibbs III. Part of the problem is so like there was all these different like other groups that got together and sort of like publicly shamed her for what was shameful behavior, you know, but because of that, it like fucked the trial up. There's no impartial trial for that. Exactly. And he really had to like use that, you know, to make sure that there was actual facts being presented because she felt that she was like slandered. And if there's evidence, you can't say it's defamation. You just can't. Right. And (laughs) and saying like he, he said something in the affidavit along the lines of or not affidavit, but in the court thing because an affidavit you have to submit yeah right so in the trial in the court proceedings yeah he was saying how like she's innocent of the nonsensical allegations being leveled at her by people who are leveraging the power of social media for their own agenda without verification of fact but their own agenda is to help people right you know and their agenda is to call her out right so like yeah no shit An agenda is many things and sometimes that agenda is actually based in reality. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when it came down to it, they ended up doing an investigation like in Uganda and, you know, they ended up settling the suit. She has to pay them, I think, $9,000 or something each. I know that doesn't seem like very much that's money. that's just two but people? Yeah, that's just... That's insane. Mm-hmm. And I think on average, like a Ugandan family is only making like $100 US a month, something like that. So, I mean, that's actually a lot that's of money. That's a good amount of money for them, but not a lot of money for us. Yeah. Still so fucked up. Such a cheap payoff. Uh, yeah, I know. You Considering know, how many victims there were. Because they were able to settle everything and because they ended up doing like this investigation of of the clinic, they didn't find anything wrong. They didn't think that they even died in like exceptionally large numbers, which I'm just not totally sure I agree with. But they didn't find any evidence that she was actually treating the children and the health workers that went and looked were appreciative of her work. You know, some of the hospitals and stuff in Uganda are still appreciated uh, with the work that she did. Because she took some of the heat off of them. Yeah, exactly. Like they were, they were overworked and they needed help and she was there to help them regardless of whether or not she was doing a good job. Along with the settlement, she decided to apologize to the women and included in her apology was that she would never come back to Uganda. After the trial and stuff, you know, people went and spoke to other doctors that she worked with, like even some who knew and were on the side that she was doing things wrong. Several admitted that they would still work with her in the future. I I believe that this is a doctor, probably I think he was the first attending doctor saying we're still underfunded. So her role would be very relevant. 
they do receive support from UNICEF, but if we had double, it would not be enough. It was out of desperation from my position. Desperation is the key word to help these babies that she did these things. It's not that she was over-enthusiastic to do miracles. Well, that's the thing. It's it's never black and white with people. Yeah. What's that? It's like, just because somebody hasn't abused you, like, doesn't mean they won't abuse others. Or... Exactly. If a mother knows that she's likely to get free food and she's going to get free medicine, what would you do? Some of these things are contextual. In America, they can't believe a baby can just die. Here, they can die. In 2012, Renee Bach helped to make like a different feeding center with the government called Bugo Barrow. The district health officer of Manafwa, where they made this new feeding program, was saying like that all the things that she did was right. The thing that she did that was wrong was like seeing patients. Right. You know, it's unethical. It, this is really tricky. I can see where I wouldn't want to sit back and sit on my hands and just watch people die. Yeah. And he goes on to say this it is me, a doctor who is in charge, but she had the money. She said, doctor, give me the right people to work with. And all I gave her were qualified doctors working at government, at government facilities. And then it was something about, you know, Charles, that guy, Charles, the driver, I guess this doctor who's like kind of on her side was just like completely floored by this, this statement, because I think even the people that were above her weren't quite aware of how many fatalities there were. I mean, it's just insane. They're just saying there's not enough children in this district for that many killings. Right. You know, but that being said, people were coming from all over the place. Yeah. And you they know? probably heard like there's this clinic and they're not going to charge you. Just take your babies there. Yeah. I don't know. It just like really feels like a, a big back and forth. And like, obviously it's like a race issue. When it comes down to it, it's just like there's this lack of understanding. So now they actually developed a new serving his children and it's in partnership with um, the Uganda's Ministry of Health. And that was opened in 2017. And it does outpatient stuff. So people aren't staying there. It's a little bit different. And they're still running like under Ugandan doctors and nurses and a nutritionist, a social worker, a pastor. You know, so I guess in some ways, like out of this tragedy, brought awareness to the fact that they really needed this. Yeah. And it really needed to be done right to help their community. By people in their community. Exactly. By people in their community. Because then that helps everything. Because then they have more career options. They have more, you know, advancement options. And also people need to be seen by people in their community, not some like white lady who came from America. It's like exactly that. It's like some white lady from America. And like, sadly, I think probably because of media and things like that, they just are like, oh, like she must know. Like surely she wouldn't come here without actually understanding what we're going through. There's this thing about Americans where we just naturally assume that everybody acts like we do and everybody Mm -hmm. has the same like cultural ideology and like the same basic understanding of like, you know, our way of life. Mm -hmm. And like, of course they want that way of life. And of course they, you know, if they only had the money, they would absolutely do the things that I want them to do. Mm-hmm. Or like if they only had the understanding. But it's, yeah, like, but it's just like complete disregard for their like lives. Exactly. You know, it's like it doesn't actually they don't have to live like you at all to deserve care mm-hmm. and consideration. Yeah. Right. It's like, why do you need to go there and like build a bunch of churches? Like yeah. that's taking Send- precious time and materials away from building things that could be helpful. But if you're really all that concerned, why don't you just find the the resources that those people can go to where your money can actually do more than your like thoughts and prayers yeah, or your fake doctoring. But then again, like then it's like I have to go back to like she started giving out meals to thousands of children two days right. a week. 
Like that is that's, what her intention was. That's I don't, a big deal. And that is a wonderful thing. You know, Absolutely. and I'm not sure that she ever had the intention to like be a doctor. Right. I feel like they're just like, you're it's a doctor circumstantial. Now. <laughs> yeah. It was like, hey, do you know anything about this? What do we do? She just ended up doing more than she needed to. It's just poor boundaries is what it is. It is. And also like not admitting your faults. It's yeah. like what that woman said, Kelsey Nielsen, you have to take your ego out of it, mm-hmm. you know, because like there's no room for that. You know, if you're putting other people first, like you can't not admit a mistake or not accept help from people that know more than you. And yeah, the minute that she realized that refeeding was becoming an issue, she should have hired a nutritionist and a doctor immediately and not done anything else until she had that that staff Mm -hmm. to back her up. No, I totally agree. And same thing with children that have AIDS, you know, it's just like unreal. The TB too, Mm -hmm. like that is so painful and so easily spread that any normal person would be like, we are not equipped for this. We can't do this. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I love these kids. I want them to live, but I do not have the resources for this. I can't keep these kids here. I can send you with food and that's as much as I can do. And I can try to create an opportunity for later. You're right. Like you're, you're totally right. There is no reason that she should have tried to save their lives. I know that doesn't sound great, but right. I think what would have been better is having somebody that can actually communicate with the parents, mm-hmm. you know, first of all. And second of all, like you're saying, it's like allow the child to have a cot, allow them to have food and to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to get a doctor, fabulous, you know, right. and if not, like that's what this is. is the most that I can provide you. You know, they can help transport to hospitals. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of like the way it started. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're right. It's just not having boundaries. You know, it's like, well, if she had those boundaries, then she would have said that. But she didn't have those boundaries because she's super religious and she thought it was God's plan. You know, it's just like this right. whole thing. Like it just doesn't end. You can just keep talking in circles about it. Naturally, like all of it works together. And mm-hmm. it's not just like her personality or it's not just the religion, the religious aspect of it. It's like all of it together made a shit salad. And, you know, and this is another thing that this is the last thing I have to talk about. There is a nonprofit that provides Christian religious contextual law after the first trial. They just like kind of brought it back up, you know, saying that like, there's no merit to this lawsuit. We're going to come and talk. The little boy who had like the fluid filled stomach, this child and this whole story, like where they have no record of of her son being there. And I mean, it's just like weird. So when this new nonprofit came in, they like got more of a story from the mother. I guess she said that somebody approached her in her village saying like, oh, I know where you can go to like make your baby get fat in a good way. Yeah. And that's Because you want a fat baby. You don't want a skinny baby. Yeah. That baby is healthy. That's Those what that's, that's yeah, a, you need supposed that. to be a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like you want your baby to go get fat. So they ended up going to serving his children. And this was after he was diagnosed with TB somewhere else. They went there where we talked about it. And then she says that there was a white lady who was Bach. They went into a room together for an hour and then that was it. So in this other statement, it was this whole other thing, you know, but then in this one, it's something else. And then also the grandmother of this child said something about a woman named, how do you say this? Fatima? I'm the worst. Fatima, Fatima. I think they both work. So anyway, this woman was supposed to be working for serving his children, sends her to get her baby fat. But evidently this woman didn't even work at saving her children. Like nobody knew who she was. There was no record of it. 
she was just like floating around talking to people. I'm just not totally sure that that happened, to be honest. Weird. Evidently, when when they were done with her son, Elijah, there at serving his children, they drove them to another health center. They just gave him milk. They discharged him. And I guess they sent her with like a little bit of money to figure out how to get home, like one U.S. dollar. The stories are wildly varying, but it also kind of makes sense because it's such a high stress situation that I can imagine like looking back at it, you're like confused about the whole thing. You're like, my kid was alive and then they were dead. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah, and I totally get it, and especially if she's hearing stuff about things. And also probably at the time when she was approached, like was she even thinking about it, you know what I mean? Like right. she didn't know for any reason that it would be like important information for later. Right. Like, what was that lady You're saying? not thinking about storing information for a lawsuit when you're just living your life trying to get your kid help. It is interesting. And it is interesting, like the power of social media, like for so many different things, like exposing her. Yeah. You know, for one, you know, but then at the same time, like fucking up her trial, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's hard because everybody wants to help and participate and, you know, bring people to justice. But at the same time, they mostly tend to make things a little bit more difficult Mm -hmm. when it comes to like actually serving the justice. Oh, totally. Well, it's happened in like a lot of high profile murder cases and things like that. Yeah. I know this is really sad. Like, I don't know if you followed the Gabby Petito stuff at all. No, I, I didn't. Wait, was she like the wife or whatever? And She, she was, was the, the girlfriend and the boyfriend were like out, like living van life and shit like that. And he went home to Florida with her van without her. Her parents were calling consistently like, hey, where's our daughter? Have you heard from them? Because they thought they were both missing. Like they hadn't heard from either of them. So they oh, were like, where are our kids? Have you heard from them? Yeah. And the the parents of Brian Laundry were not responding. And Brian, of course, wasn't responding. And Gabby, of course, wasn't responding. Yeah. No, I didn't follow this at all. Yeah. And then they found her body. But before that, like there were all these like armchair detectives, like, let's see what Gabby's Instagram posts say about what really was happening. It was just... Well, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You cannot assess somebody's real life. (laughs) But that's kind of what ended up happening is people got this like real life look at like, yes, this is the picture that she painted, but she had this like abusive narcissistic boyfriend who then killed her so awful and they just found his remains too so god it's fucked up but if he had gone to trial like there's no way that he would have gotten a fair trial oh no and that would and you know you say like well he's guilty so who cares but it's like but then you can get out that can keep people from actually getting justice Mm -hmm. and it kind of seems like that's a little bit what happened here Yeah. Like there was just too much publicity, too much like back and forth online and there was no way for her to get a fair trial. So really, I mean, what's a prosecutor to do? Because she's just going to, you know, if she did go to prison or anything, it wouldn't be Mm -hmm. like permanent. Yeah. And I guess the Ugandans, it's better that she just leaves their country. Yeah. It's better that she just like never come back. And what I do think is kind of admirable is she's still continuing to volunteer from the U.S. for the same company or not company, but nonprofit. Yeah, that's good. I hope that she recognized this as a major moral failing. It seems from her apologies that she didn't. Right. I know. I don't. She doesn't have very much remorse. Yeah. It's very much about like, oh, well, this is just a thing that I felt I had to do and I wish I hadn't. But like, yeah. And like I was called to do it. (laughs) And like being able to admit that like you are lying in your personal blog about things that you're 
doing. I mean, I guess she wasn't, but just like thinking that that's a good out, like, oh, well, I was actually just like taking everybody else's <laughs> I'm just a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, just was like taking everybody else's credit. No big deal. I'm not killing children, okay? I'm just lying about killing children. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I'm silly. So a lot of you been, have been asking me about... The excuses that they make are so nonsensical and make them look worse. Where it's just like, are you out of your fucking mind? There's no way that you can think of this excuse as being something that's going to get you out of trouble. You're making it so much worse for yourself. If you would just say, I'm fucked up, people would be like, oh, okay. Right. But instead you're saying, well, God told me to. And now people are like, fuck you, man. Mm -hmm. But she believes it. She does delusion. Well, super homeschooled, super religious. I mean, what are you going to do? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. But I do think she's the loser in the story. I'm glad that she's still helping. It does kind of feel like image management considering her bullshit apology, but whatever. Right. You know, she tried to make amends to some degree. Mm-hmm. It's probably like so embarrassing. Honestly, it's probably the most you could expect from her. I couldn't even imagine having like the whole country and like all of Uganda, like thinking... Yeah. Especially for shit that we did when we were in our early 20s. Like, no, thank you. Oh my yeah, God. I know I, know. I was an asshole. I don't need anybody to remind me because, you know, I replay that shit in my head and mm-hmm. think, what the fuck were you thinking? At like 3 a.m. You're just like, like I'm horrible. <laughs> Have I gotten better? I don't know. I'm more self-aware. Yeah. At least I know I'm an asshole now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you kidding. know, you know, who doesn't know they're an asshole? Andrew Wakefield. Who's Andrew Wakefield? Oh, my darling summer child. I will tell you all about Andrew Wakefield. He is the doctor who is the reluctant messiah of the anti-vax movement. He is not oh. anti-vax. He is not. Oh, is he like vaccinated himself? In short, in case you don't want to watch the episode, he created the autism vaccination link, autism MMR link. And uh, he mainly did that because he wanted to patent his own vaccine. Oh my God, what a dickhead. Yeah. And then what, didn't like Jenny Jenny McCarthy like get involved yeah. and then it just became a whole thing? Yeah. So he's he's still doing the circuits of like anti-vax propaganda. And also he's like in cahoots with doctors who are trying to, you know, sell their own blood marrow as a cure for autism and shit. What where you're like, fuck? what the fuck is wrong with you, you psychopath? Yeah, that's really weird. He's, he's a lunatic. Is he a white man? Well, of course he is. Yeah, these bone marrow doctors too. My bone marrow can Yeah, specifically you. this old white man. I think this guy might be dead now, but like <laughs> it was just so weird. It's the kind of story where you're like, if I didn't know that this was true, I would be like, this is too much for one story. You can't have all this shit going on. Is that what your episode's going to be about next it week? Is. Oh, I'm so, or in two weeks. I'm so excited. Oh, hell yes. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, and by the way, guys, so every other Tuesday, so on, on weeks where you do not have our regular episodes, we're going to be doing True Crime Tuesdays. So the first episode of True Crime Tuesday is going to be Lloyd Gaines, a famous uh, civil rights activist who mysteriously disappeared. Okay. What did happen? I guess we will see. I can't wait to find out. Fascinating and heartbreaking. Like most of our episodes. Yeah, that's that's us. How do we even wrap up anymore? I don't know. Thank you for bearing with us. Yes. This uh, extended break. Yeah, after our extended break. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. Yay, we did it. I made it. I made a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find out more about us on iReadathing.com. 
You can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts and you can find us on social media. We will start a Twitch streaming schedule. We are still kind of trying to figure that out. So it'll be Mm -hmm. a little loosey-goosey, but you can look for that on our Twitter, which is I Read a Thing Podcast. Or no, Twitter is I Read a Thing, I think. It's one of those two. (laughs) Listen, wherever there's social media, it's either I Read a Thing or... I read a thing podcast. Just figure it out. Don't you, you have know. Google? You will know if you've hit the right spot if you see our two dumb faces. That's mm-hmm. how you know if it's us or not. <laughs> you know, I just reflected a little bit on a YouTube comment we had. We're dumb because we have tattoos or something. Aww. Dumb faces and dumb tattoos are like, you'd sound a lot smarter if you had less tattoos. Like, such a shit. Like, oh, no, they said we sound, we, <laughs> that women tried too hard to curse to sound, I don't know if it was smart or funny, but I was just like, listen, I don't curse to be smart or funny. I curse because fuck you. <laughs> I don't even really have a potty mouth. I have a total potty mouth. I'm trying to get better at it. Not at cursing. Because I'm already excellent at cursing. You said the F word. I'm so sorry. I'm just a horrible person with a potty mouth. I am I am genuinely trying to get a little bit better about it because it, it gets a little out of control. Maybe at I'll times. just start crying every time you say one. Ah, you say the bad word. Ooh, we should just have a swear jar. That's a good idea. Yeah, we should have I'll make a nice big swear jar and every time I curse I have to put a <laughs> a penny. Or a nickel. <laughs> swear jar. Yeah. If I put a penny in, it's it's going to fill up really quickly. And then you'll have like $5. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.